as as they're downloading tools and as they're go back to just clicking on links, think about how how much higher privilege those development teams have as far as access to the network and hopefully that dev team has a micro segmented network that they're on that's not connected to the production environment welcome to the devsec for scale podcast the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies my name is jeremy hest head of developer relations at Achilles. welcome back everyone to the devsec for scale podcast with me today is Greg Edwards. He's the founder and CEO of Crypto Stopper. It's a ransomware detection and mitigation tool. I know you were thinking to yourself, crypto, it probably had to do with cryptocurrency of some sort, but this is not that. We are talking about cybersecurity. So Greg, it's really great to have you on the show. And before we get into more about the company and your work and what you've been doing until now, uh, let's get straight into it. So we're talking about ransomware, uh, cyber obviously is pretty synonymous with that kind of attack. So can you give us a little bit uh, of background sort of for those who maybe don't know, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard about ransomware, but just in case anyone isn't fully sure what ransomware is, can you give us a little bit of the background basics, what ransomware is and about how it's evolved over the years? Yeah, absolutely, Jeremy. Uh, so. I started seeing ransomware attacks as far back as as 2012 and really what what ransomware is at its core and fundamentally is its encryption it encrypts files and then holds them for ransom to get that decryption key. I mean, at its core, that's what ransomware is. Now, things have evolved uh, in the use of the dark web and exfiltrating data and threatening lots of other things in addition to uh, just encrypting the files. But that's where it started. It started with essentially utilizing existing tools that were out there to encrypt data and then holding that that decryption key for ransom. And of course, that also had to come from the start of the basics of hacking, of finding a way into a network, uh, trying to up your permissions, for example, find the files that you need, and then use some more software to actually lock that in. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, if you think about malware of the past, they they just retooled malware that was already existing and then that has been added to and turned those malware attacks where you know 10 years ago if you had malware um, or virus it really just caused your computer to slow down and would cause you some problems but they didn't have a way of monetizing it back then other than you know pay 39 dollars and we'll uh, we'll make your your computer faster again um we'll make your pop-up stop all the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So they use that that malware technique of getting into the machines uh, to then unleash ransomware, and God. and really evolved um, because of cryptocurrency because they they could then monetize those attacks and through ransomware was the best way to do that. Got it. Yeah, of course we're seeing a huge uptick, and uh, we'll we'll. We'll get into some more details about um, ransomware uh, attacks, specific ones. Uh, and before we move forward to there, let's get a little bit more about your background. How did you get into this line of work and you know where you are today? Yeah, so I started 
a managed services business back in 1998, actually still own and uh, absentee own that still today. And then I started two SaaS businesses out of that managed service business. So the first of those was an offsite backup and disaster recovery company that I started pre uh, pre the cloud. So we were doing cloud backup before the cloud existed and, and recoveries to the cloud before the cloud existed. Uh, and then I sold that in 2016 and started Crypto Stopper shortly after that. Originally started it actually with the intent of being an MSSP. Uh, and we built Crypto Stopper as a tool to use internally and be able to stop ransomware. Actually built it originally as a PowerShell script that took took an entire nine seconds to detect and stop a ransomware attack, which was not fast enough. Um, and now have built built that original PowerShell script into a full um, kernel driver tool and agent that will recognize actively running ransomware and stop it in less than a second. Wow. That sounds like a, a not simple thing to do because you have to be <laughs> scanning quite quickly and very constantly. Hopefully that doesn't slow down other processes of the, uh, the operating system. It yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that that has been a process to optimize and ensure we now um, typical CPU utilization is hovers between 0.1 and 0.3 percent, uh, and memory utilization is very low too. So certainly, uh, certainly some optimization to get us to that level. Yeah, not not like uh, Chrome. <laughs> right. <I have> to <laughs> admit, Chrome really runs uh, runs that CPU usage. Maybe, maybe we need to help Google. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Hey, there you go. There's uh, another <laughs> branch, I guess. You can branch out a little bit into uh, that side of things. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, fileless ransomware attacks. Um, that's uh, I'm not sure if that's really uh, – I'm, I'm not up to date, honestly, on my ransomware attacks. So I need your help here, Greg. Uh, is this is fileless ransomware a newer type of ransomware attack? And um, what are sort of the ways that you mitigate them today? Yeah. So so first of all, to talk through what a fileless attack is versus a traditional attack or what I call a hacking attack. So there's several different ways that ransomware can be introduced to an environment. The most common and still still today, the most common is through traditional malware that that takes care of about 50 percent of the malware events that that happen is through traditional malware. Uh, then the next most common is through fileless attacks. So this is where rather than being an actual file that a user opens and executes, it's, it's script-based. So could be either a link that just executes a script and then runs remote code um, or could be a website that runs that remote code where they access the site and it runs it. Uh, it all ends up doing the same thing as far as encrypting and or exfiltrating and then also creating backdoors so the attackers can, can come right on in if they want to. Um, but a traditional fileless ransomware attack. We've seen those. Uh, the earliest that I saw those were 2018. Uh, and we created some some videos. We created our own fileless 
ransomware to demonstrate how those techniques were done and and how it was done way back then. Um, seems 2018 seems like forever ago at this point after the last couple of years. Uh, but but really those those fileless attacks are very difficult for traditional antivirus to detect and. The way that CryptoStopper detects and mitigates and stops that is that we're we're not watching. It doesn't matter what the method is that the ransomware starts running. We're we're actually doing file integrity monitoring and then utilizing deception technology to be able to see that ransomware attack actively happening, no matter how it's perpetrated, uh, and then stopping it. And, and those fileless attacks, I do see rising more and more and, and becoming more and more common. And, and when you think about the, the way that um, email scanning and virus scanning works, it, they're getting better and better at their detection methods. So the attackers are evolving to, uh, to go to where they're not going to be detected. Absolutely. So this is definitely something that uh, what we're talking about is not just, you know, your personal uh, emails and all that. We're talking about your corporate email and all the all the links that you see, you know, when you hope hope that your your company will train everyone uh, on how to deal with emails that are not quite common. They don't look right. And you don't hopefully you don't click on that link and get, you know, you're the one that's baited. Um, to, to click on that and then you get punished. But uh, this is stuff that every developer, even people who know what they're doing, kind of get caught with, isn't it? It is. Well, and when you when you think about how how we utilize email today and how we expect that you can click on a link and it makes it much easier to be able to do that. But when so the second most common besides ransomware attacks, the next most common business um, cyber attack is a business email compromise. And a lot of times those business email compromise will be used then for ransomware attacks and breach attacks. And so if you have a colleague that their email is compromised and they're then the ones emailing you, it looks like it's someone that you know, you're much more likely to click on those links. And that's 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 going to continue to be pervasive. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. So training is absolutely important and every corporation should be doing it. Um, but you can't, you just can't ever get to the point where your employees are guaranteed to not click on something malicious. Absolutely. So let's get a little bit into sort of the, the cyber uh, terminology, right? We have uh, things like a SOC team and we have EDR tooling. So can you give us a little bit about, uh, you know, what those, what those ideas are and, uh, and then sort of like the differences in terms of, you know, like company size and requirements for having a SOC team and EDR tooling? Yeah. So first, let's let's explain the EDR. So EDR is endpoint detection and response, and I really see that as the next evolution of endpoint security from traditional antivirus. So, what endpoint detection and response is the easiest way to think of it is like a video surveillance system, but 
for every action that occurs on your on your desktop. So think of every file that's accessed, every network connection, every internet connection, every every single thing that's happening is logged and recorded. And then that information can be analyzed for indicators of compromise. So I called IOCs. And that is that is all then managed preferably by a security operations team because you can imagine that there i mean there are millions of events so if you're in an environment of several thousand computers i mean there are millions and millions of events happening all the time and you take that event data that's happening at the at the endpoints add that to the event data that's happening at the firewalls and switches and, and all of the other devices on the network. And then you can get a full picture of what's happening. And so that's so that was kind of a long-winded explanation of what EDR is, but endpoint detection and response, I see as a critical component of cyber cybersecurity as we move forward. The challenge with that is having the professionals that understand and can manage those tools. And so then that's where that, that SOC, the Security Operations Center, comes into play. And having, and whether you outsource that and have a managed EDR solution and managed SOC, or that's built in-house. And it really, I mean, for for any security operations center to be successful needs to be a 24-7 operation. And you need at a minimum 12 people to staff a 24-7 operation. And that still would be pretty thin. Uh, so, so it takes a substantially sized company to justify having a SOC team. And again, that, that's that's not, we're not talking about IT here. We're just talking about security monitoring and dealing with security events. So it it typically um, companies over a thousand employees or highly, highly secure companies that absolutely require it. Um, but really for for the bulk of companies, even less than 5,000 employees really makes sense to outsource that that kind of an operation. And there are lots and lots of managed SOC and managed EDR solutions on the market today. Great. Yeah, actually, you mentioned the IT. And, uh, you know, obviously, we're talking about sort of a different layer, like the security or the cybersecurity layer, which are also you can split into a few you know, infosec, cyber, and, and all the different types, uh, the different departments that you could have in an organization. But where does that like IT and DevOps and developer um, sort of, uh, you know, that persona, where do they touch this kind of, uh, of tooling or do they not at all? So, well, so they're absolutely important to it. And when you think about um, the development teams and DevOps, they need a much higher level of privileged machine. And so that creates a security issue. And so the development teams and DevOps teams have to understand and, and have to be a part of security. 
and understand that they're a big risk within an organization, not only in the code that they're developing, but because of the nature of what they're doing and the level of administration and administrative rights that they need on their machines. So uh, the development teams are absolutely critical in the security and working with the security teams, very different teams, um, but they need to need to work together and need to understand why sometimes the uh, security team may may feel like they're putting pressure on the development team. Yeah, really creating that push and pull, of course, that we it, always talk about between developers and security, where security says, no, 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 like we can't have that happen. And the developer is like, no, 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 I need it. I need to just it, go and you know, I need, I need to make, I need to create this, uh, you know, I need to build a feature. Like it's, it's not going to happen on its own. Right. Exactly. And that push and pull, I, I think, I mean, so taking the tension out of that, I think is important and each understanding, each department understanding why that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess it's, it's really, uh, I, I say this, I think quite a bit, it's really about that communication aspect, right? Making sure that like you have your priorities, uh, it's understood. And if something has to get pushed off a day because you need to make sure some specific, uh, you know, port is closed or some some other gap or whatever it is needs to be checked, then, you know, you have to do it. You just have to wait. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, continuing sort of on the thread of, of developers, um, when we talk about, um, you know, from their side about like preventing uh, ransomware attacks, fileless ransomware attacks, more specifically, I guess, in this case, um, how should they be interacting with the security team um, more more from a user perspective, I guess, rather than like in their code, but like more from just as a user in the, you know, in the ecosystem? Yeah. So at being absolutely conscious of the threat that's out there, that's really the first thing. And, and understanding that just by the nature of what as developers that they do, that they are a higher risk to the company from a, from a security standpoint. And so as, as they're downloading tools and as they're go back to just clicking on links, think about how, how much higher privilege those development teams have as far as access to the network and hopefully that dev team has a micro segmented network that they're on that's not connected to the production environment but depending on the size of the company again that is difficult um, and not always done even in large large environments uh, so really being conscious of that as a developer you do pose a higher risk to the company because of the access level that you have. And that's that's totally separate conversation from developing secure code. I mean, this is just as a user on the network, you pose a higher risk. Got it. Um, interestingly, I, I just, um, I think it was my previous episode or two episodes ago, I spoke uh, uh, with uh, a, a CEO of a company called Cyber Cider Security, uh, Guy Flechter. And, we talked about development environments. So securing your, your developer and your test environments, not, not just your production, right? Because that's also a threat. Um, are, are those things, uh, you know, from that side, uh, something that should be, you know, 
from, I guess, an EDR perspective, is that something that you also focus on or is it really sort of more focused on um, the, the, develop, the, the production side? Um, so as far as the, the CryptoStopper tool itself, it's really designed for all endpoints and servers to it is really file integrity monitoring. So not, not a big differentiator there. But when you talk about EDR and that endpoint detection and response, that absolutely should be on those development environments. And again, the, the micro segmentation that I talk about is separating that development environment from the production environment and not, uh, not just separating so that you have a development environment, but actually on a separate subnet and actually separated through through routing so that if there is an attack that happens within one environment, it doesn't cascade into the other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. And uh, the next question I have is really more about uh, a sort of like more personal uh, type of question. Do you have any stories, interesting stories that you could share with us about uh, an incident uh, or attack that that happened that you uh, were part of in some way? Yeah, so lots and lots of of stories, and really, I I don't know if interesting in the right is the right word, but maybe um, scary. scary. <laughs> and um, I think the the one event that I recall the most that. Uh, that really triggered my my decision to sell access backup, the offsite backup, and move into cybersecurity. And this is really even before CryptoStopper was developed. We had an emergency call come through uh, that happened to get to me um, on the offsite backup emergency line, and it was a not even a customer. It was a, a person that had their entire network encrypted from a ransomware event and it was it was the CEO of the company that found us and called us and this this gentleman was in tears because he wasn't sure that he was going to be able to keep his operation running because everything was encrypted. He didn't have good backups. He wasn't a client of the offsite backup company unfortunately. But that complete loss of data. And when you think about within a company, that complete loss of data and then not having backups for it, that is is such a devastating event and likely puts a puts a company out of business. And that's what ransomware can do. And so that's why these discussions that we've been having today are so important. Um, and, and I've been through and worked with, at this point, hundreds of people that have had ransomware attacks. And it's not ever fun. I mean, even if you have the right, the right backup and disaster recovery systems to be backup and running within a couple of hours or even instantaneously if you have hot hot failover um, it's still a a massive inconvenience and it's usually days and weeks that it takes a company to recover from a ransomware attack yeah that's uh that's not an easy one for sure and and one of the things we learned pretty quickly was it doesn't matter if you're a, a Microsoft size organization or if you're a tiny little startup, you need to be protected because 
they don't care who they're taking data from. They can make money and they're going to do it. Yeah. Well, and it's actually more devastating to the smaller companies. So typically a larger organization is going to have the disaster recovery plan and, and actually going to have tested it. Whereas an employee, a company with you know 50 employees isn't necessarily, they might have a DR plan that they had to create because of some compliance regulation, but they probably haven't tested it. And so that becomes much more devastating when you're not actually prepared to recover from a disaster, whether it's ransomware or a hurricane. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So getting to my last question, which is a question I ask all of my guests, uh, what are, in your opinion, some uh, ways that developers, and of course, talking from a, not necessarily from the developer code side, but just the user side, uh, some ways that uh, developers can uh, secure, you know, themselves, their their machines, their environments, uh, without having to take, you know, too much time from their their daily, you know, coding. Yeah. So the biggest thing is just understanding and being cognizant that you are a you are always under attack and that you are a threat to the environment and so just like everyone else is just that developers because of that access level are even more of a threat so understanding that and understanding why the security operations team may may come down on you harder and uh and again that push and pull and just understanding that and then recognizing and being being hyper careful absolutely uh greg thank you so much for being on the podcast uh, i had a great time i'm glad that we met and uh I'm, I'm really happy that we had this conversation hopefully the audience uh likes what they hear and uh, uh learned a lot like i did so uh, i really appreciate your time thanks for stopping by and i hope that we uh, catch up again soon yeah thanks for having me jeremy yeah, have a great one you too